Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. It is the In the 11 podcast. I am your host, Brendan Griffiths, and this is the podcast where we show you what it takes to make it to the highest level and be in the 11. This week is no different. Kari Stevenson steps into the 11 for this week. He is a former MLS player, former top-level player in Sweden, in Norway, capped for his national team, played in Old Trafford. The list goes on and on. I don't want to give it all away here at the top, but trust me, stay tuned because you're going to want to hear his story. Before I kick it over there, I would ask if you could please, whatever platform you're listening on, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Amazon, all that good stuff, wherever you're at, if you could press pause, quickly go and leave a review for the podcast. Let me know what you think. Helps the podcast grow. I'd appreciate it tremendously. Just takes a quick second out of your day before you jump into the episode. So once you've done that, perfect. Thank you. Appreciate you. Now let's kick it over to myself and Kari. All right. In the 11 with us this week, I am super grateful to be chatting with Kari Stevenson. So excited to dive into his career, all that he has done in the game, and and also talk about what he's up to now. But like I said, thanks so much for joining us and and being here today, Kari. Yeah, happy to be here and looking forward to the conversation. Excellent. So as we just kind of spoke for a second there before we jumped on and started recording, you were a player who kind of went a very different route to become a professional than than what a lot of people, a lot of players did at that time. You actually played for a Division three school. What was your choice kind of, what made you decide to go to Division three school like Williams? And how did that, you know, how did that come about? So backing up a little bit from that, actually born and raised in Jamaica, mm-hmm. in high school and everything over there. And then I ended up going to boarding school in Connecticut. So I went to Chilworth Mary Hall. I was there for two years. And I had quite a few friends that I grew up with from home who ended up going to Williams. A couple of them went to different boarding schools, showed Hotchkiss, Andover, et cetera. And the reason I, and the, the friends who told me about Chode and how I ended up there is they ended up going to Williams. And I had some childhood friends I went to elementary school or at Williams. So for me, it was between Williams and Brown. I didn't get into Brown, so mm-hmm. I went to Williams. Like Williams is number one liberal arts school in the country. Yeah. So great education on the Forbes list of best schools in the country. It's Williams, Stanford, and Harvard. So from from an academic standpoint, like it was a great school. And my dad's a lawyer. My mom's a a, a PhD. So for them, education was first. So it wasn't that uh, you're going to a sports school. It's you need to go to a good school to get a good education. So main reasons I ended up there. So was that your motivation as well? Was Were you more focused on the academics? Was the athletics just kind of an added bonus that you got to go and play soccer at the collegiate level? No, I, I actually wanted to play professionally since I was four years old. Okay. And the reality is it doesn't matter how good you are. If sometimes you need luck, you need to get the right breaks, you need the right people to see at the right time. So... It's, I could be the best player in the world, but if the, the stars don't align, you'll, you know, the, this could never work out. Yeah. So it was education first, and then if the soccer worked out, great. So I always have to have your backup plan, which my backup plan is working for me right now. Yeah. So I can't complain about that. Yeah, and it's, it's certainly not a bad school to have a backup plan in terms of, as you just laid out, the academic side, but... You know, even on the athletic side, Williams is not, you know, it's certainly a, a very strong program when it comes to college soccer as well. You know, it's it's not just a, a program to be laughed at or, or scoffed at. It's a perennial powerhouse in terms of the Division Three landscape. So what was those couple of years playing for a program like that? And obviously you had some individual success. You know, what was that that time like for you? Yeah, so in the, the NASCAC, which is the conference we played in, it's if not the toughest Division Three conference, it is one-off. But we, our team, in some respects, were too good for the division. We had some international players. So I played under-17 for Jamaica, and under-20 went to the youth world. 
I had some teammates who were on the under 17 national team at the time. So like we, we, and we grew up playing together. So it was for us, it was like, we're all good players. We all know each other, but there's so much to learn more about playing as a team and not just an, an individual. And it doesn't matter how big, strong, fast, and technically sound you might be playing as a team and, and understanding the game um, was a lot of what I learned by going to Williams. So, but yeah, I mean, it, it was a great experience. I, I, I learned a lot about fitness because in Jamaica, fitness wasn't really. <laughs> so, but yeah, um, good experiences and with great players. None of my years, we actually made it to the championship game. We, I don't know, yeah, we lost in, I don't know, the Sweet 16, the final eight a couple of times. And I don't know, it was, it was tough because you're all playing teams. Teams would just sit back and defend and they counterattack, score one goal and just sit. Yeah. So, but you know, it's it's life learning experiences. Living and yeah. Another thing too is you know with with Williams being Division Three, it really has nothing to do with the quality of the team or the players. Mm. It's Division Three because it's a small school that doesn't have any large graduate program, and that's the big differences between colleges and universities. Mm. Yeah, I've spoken to some players in the past on this podcast that have said. You know, one player I interviewed a few weeks ago that went division three as well. That's now playing professionally. He said, for me, it was an opportunity where sure, maybe I had some interest from division one, but the division three program I was able to go to, and I was able to be a part of a program that was very successful, played at a very high level, lots of good players around me. And I got an opportunity to play right away and play a lot for my whole four years. Would you say that that was another benefit that you kind of received from playing at a school like Williams? Whereas, sure, obviously you could have gone to a division one, but who knows if you would have had the same showcase to be able to, to play right from the start. Yeah, that's fair. And the truth is division three, it, it's not highly scouted or highly watched. So the odds of getting out of a division three school and going pro are not big. Yeah. But, you know, even if I may have been one of the better players on the team, even if there was this whole seniority thing. Well, you're a freshman, they're seniors. They have to yeah. get their teams first. If things don't work out, then you can go play. So that, that was kind of frustrating in itself. It, it was what it was. So, you know, coming out as a freshman, I wasn't starting from the get-go. But but I got a lot of minutes. Got a lot of minutes, scored some goals, had some important goals. It's A lot of it is, is character building as well. So yeah. learning about, look, this is just what it is. Just keep doing your thing. And when your chance comes, just make use of it. And that's exactly what I did when my opportunity came. Yeah. And, and you just mentioned there that it's, you know, Division Three is not as highly scouted as other levels or other leagues. And it's difficult. The, the chances, as you said, are slim for a player to be able to go from the Division Three college level to the professional game. But, you know, you were able to do it. How do you think you were able to do it in those four years to be able to make that jump. That's a uh, defy those slim odds. Mm-hmm. So I, I was actually, I think I was all conference all three years. Well, I don't think I made a freshman year, but I was conference player of the year. My junior and senior year, I was all American junior and senior. I think I could have been first team all American junior and senior year. And I was one of two division three players who got invited to the MLS combine. I think there were 60 players, one division, two, two D three, and like 57 division one players. So, you know, I, I, I was playing with the national team. I had, I got called up a couple of times to train with the full senior national team. I played under 17, went to the under 20 youth world cup. I was playing on the under 23 national team. So did the whole Olympic qualifying thing. So for me, it's, I feel I had a lot more international experience and exposure than, than most of the guys who came through D1. Mm. And it was just for me to show that I was just as good, if not better than them at the combine. So obviously the combine, there were four teams and, you know, I wasn't starting because there were all these big name D1 guys. So, you know, they played and I think I was in the first wave with substitutions. So I ran on you know, did a couple of step overs, ran by a couple of guys and then hit a shot and they're like, oh, I guess he can play. Mm. So then since then I started every game and, and even the referees were like, look, you're one of the guys that they're really looking at. You're one of the names now. So just kind of do your thing and keep it cool. So, but yeah, so it, 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 the combine had a lot to do with it. 
for playing in MLS. So I did well at the combine, ended up getting injured in one of the last games. I got drafted, pick number, I don't know, 27th or 28th to Chicago. Chicago ended up drafting 10 players. Most were D1, and, and I ended up having a longer career than I think all of them. Mm. So, you know, sometimes it's even if things may not work out from the get-go, you know, just give it time to do anything. And, you know, yeah. Obviously, you have, you know, you're in a different situation than many Division three players, as you mentioned, with that national team experience, which I definitely want to get to later. But you said you experienced it a little bit at the Combine, but did you experience that in addition maybe early on in your career where kind of people would ask, you know, oh, where did you play before this? And was there sort of a, a stigma or, you know, would people say, what, you played Division three and kind of immediately already put you in, into a box? Yeah, I think that definitely may have happened. And it's like, oh, where'd you go to school? Oh, Williams College. You're like, where, William and Mary? So <laughs> at the time, they've never heard of Williams, which was fine. But as soon as I started playing and, and showing what I could do, then everything was fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's the beauty of football is it doesn't matter until the ball gets rolled out there. And then all of a sudden, it's like, it just, can you play? And that's, that's all that matters. Exactly. So you get drafted by Chicago, but... Obviously, we didn't we didn't wind up playing for Chicago. Kind of walk me through what happens after you get that phone call and they say, "Okay, yep, we drafted you." You know, what's the next maybe couple of weeks, couple of months like? Yeah, so I was watching the combine online and got a call from the GM saying, "Hey, we just selected you. You know, we're looking forward to work with you. Can't wait to have you in and whatnot." So senior in college and. And I wasn't not going to finish school, right? At the time where the salaries were for MLS, there was no chance that I would not finish school to, to, to go play. Mm. So I told them, look, I have to finish school, but I can get some time off to come to one of your preseason camps. So I ended up going to Portugal, spoke to all my professors, told them what was going on. They're like, wow, this is great. Like, you're fine. Just, you know, go do your thing. And when you get back, we'll talk. So I went to Portugal. I think it could have been 10 days or two weeks. And, and I think I, I did pretty well. When I got back, I was speaking with the coach and he was saying, look, you know, we, we drafted 10 guys. We have a lot of these bigger name guys that thought we're going to sign to, you know, a, a, a developmental contract or, you know, we, actually, I think you didn't have a lot of roster spots. Okay. So all you had may have been one or two developmental spots. And he was like, you know, they're these guys. So... I don't know, but it's your only option. So I thought I was better than a developmental contract, mm -hmm. but it was what it was. And, you know, in speaking to my agent, he was like, you know, let's go see what can happen elsewhere. So during my spring break, I ended up training with Kansas City. I went to Kansas City, trained with them the two weeks of my spring break, and I felt more comfortable. I felt more settled. Even though in Chicago, I had two friends that, that I grew up playing with mm -hmm. and grew up watching in Andy Williams and Damani Roth. Damani Roth was rookie of the year the previous year and Andy Williams is a, who ended up going to the same elementary school. He was four years ahead of me, but he went to the World Cup at like 18 years old and whatever. So he was a player I always looked up to. So I was actually at the time hoping that Chicago would have worked out because yeah. there would be two people that I knew and, and whatnot. So, but back to Kansas City. So, I felt like I did well, felt like I would have actually gotten a fair chance. And they only had a developmental contract, which turned out to be fine. You know, living in Kansas City is a lot cheaper than living in Chicago. So, so yeah, ended up signing with them, went back to school, finished up, and then came back a couple months later. Yeah, but before we dive into that Kansas City a little bit, you brought up something interesting there. Obviously, you know, you made the decision to continue to finish out your degree and, and have that. And I, I wonder if you can speak to this at all, kind of the current way that the, the soccer world is in the U S right. Like I, I remember when I was coaching in Philly, I was talking to some players, pretty good players that were coming out of Villanova and they had some interest from like right now, what's called the USL championship, like the second division, mm -hmm. but they had this Villanova degree, you know, and, and they had it in finance and the, the salaries that you were maybe looking at coming out, with a degree, especially, you know, one from Williams, probably if you had gone and gotten a job, you would have made much more money right out of the gate than you would if you would go play 
professional soccer, you know, you're on TV kicking the ball. Everyone thinks that's where all the money is. Can you speak to that at all? Like, you know, did you maybe experience other players that kind of noticed that and said, "Uh, maybe I'll just, you know, go where I can have a little bit better of an income, safer income because of my degree? Or was that something that maybe crossed your mind at all? So for me, it was playing. I don't like saying soccer. So playing football was a dream. So for me, it's like, let me go try it out. If it works out great, if not, go well, but I should at least give it a fair shot. So I have my degree. If I make nothing for the next year or two, it's whatever. You know, I've, I've had a great experience and I tr- at least tried. So because the risk reward is a huge thing with the risk reward. And then if it doesn't work out, it's fine. Like you can go get a normal job and like go figure life out. So for me, it was salary was what the salary was. And, and I needed to make a name for myself before my salary was increased which it did multiple times over the many years. Was I looking at USL? No, not really. Contracts are very different. You only get paid during the season. Salaries are usually a lot less. However, there are a few players who, who are better off playing in USL, not in MLS, because their salaries were higher. But what tends to happen is that you might get stuck. There are yeah. of players who might move up from MLS, move up from USL into MLS. So I, I didn't want to go into USL. I'm not saying it's a bad league or anything, but just for me and my goals and where I want it to be, I, I think that may not have been the best fit for me. Mm. So for some players, it, it works out perfect. They might be able to play in their hometown. So, but yeah, I mean, for some players, I can hundred. I, I, I actually think I do have some, some guys who went to the combine, like Kevin R. I can remember. He went to Harvard, right? So coming out of Harvard, it's a good player. He ended up stopped playing after a year or two because it just kind of didn't make sense from a financial standpoint. And there are quite a few who, who went through the same thing. They were either on a developmental contract, not making anything, or a league minimum, not making anything, and they weren't getting a fair chance. Yeah. Or maybe they got a chance, didn't do well, not saying that they're bad players. But it was just time for them to move on. You did it for two, three years, and time to move on. You know, and a stat that most people don't realize is that most professional players, not just in soccer, football, the lifespan is three years. Mm. So it's a small percentage. You actually get to play, you know, five, 10, you know, 12 years in my in my case. So, but yeah, I mean, from that standpoint, I was like, look, I'll, I'll try it. I'll see how it works out. And, and if it does great, if not, I'll just go figure life out and get a normal nine to five. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the way that, you know, all footballers kind of have to look at it. Um, unless you're you're playing in, in the biggest leagues in the world, it's it's going to be like that. It's going to be a bit of a grind in the beginning, but you got to do it for the love of the game. And and like you said, you had a a pretty decent fallback option if if things didn't work out. So, talk to me about that first year in Kansas City. You know, now you're you're in a full fledged pro environment. I have to imagine there was a lot of highs and a lot of lows, you know, just adjusting to to pro life, to the pro game and and what that was like. Yeah, it was definitely an adjustment period. Obviously the, the pace was a lot faster than college. Players were bigger, they're faster, they're stronger. I had the size, you know, speed I was thing, but it's just getting used to the speed of play. Playing faster, constantly moving, being fitter. Mm. So my fitness level, I was fitter at, you know, in my late twenties than I was at 18. So definitely had to get used to that. Living away from home. We all went to college, we all lived away from home, whatever. So that wasn't a huge thing. But on the professional scene, you're actually coming in, taking away a guy's game and taking away his livelihood. Yeah. So you know, on some teams, it's like, look, you're you're doing the same as this guy who's making five times more than you. Well, why am I keeping the guy who's making five times as much? I'll just bring you in because you're cheaper and you're doing the same job. So that was definitely a real thing that happened. So, you know, in, in some instances, guys will come in trying to get you hurt just so you couldn't tear their games. But, you know, we're all a team and we all have the same common goals. So there was just that line between, you know, you can't tear my game. But, yeah, we're cool. Yeah. So we'll, it's all fun and games outside of training, but on the, on the field, it can get pretty intense. Yeah. I think that was one of the biggest adjustments that I had to kind of come to grips with when, you know, you mentioned that, that when you're in college, you know, everyone's working for each other and everyone's unified and, and everyone's working towards this common goal. And yes, there's, there's a competitive nature to it, but 
there's not kind of that same bite as when you go into a professional environment and you're the, you're the young kid off the block and you're about to take away the way that this guy who's been playing in the league for 10 years, this is how he feeds his family, right? Like he, he sees you coming into training. He sees you as a threat to his livelihood. That's, you know, that's the reality of it. And all of a sudden those, those dynamics of, you know, we're all best friends and we're training together and, you know, what's better than playing with your buddies every day, it, it shifts. And, you know, there's, there's great things about that. There's also tough things about that, but it's true. It's one of the toughest things I think to kind of quickly make that switch when you get to the pro game. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And then not to mention, and it's, and it's a very different dynamic from the international stage because then you're all together. It's not about who's taking whose game. Yeah. Everyone wants to play on that level. Everyone wants to play and it doesn't matter who's making what money. It's like, we all want to play. And if you're not playing, you're upset. It is what it is. Yeah. But and before you mentioned uh, how maybe the USL might have not been the best fit for you at that time and and when you were maybe kind of getting some games here and there with Kansas City, but it wasn't like the opportunity where you could really kick on and, and jumpstart your career. Did that concept of maybe I don't know if I want to go down to the USL, did that kind of influence your decision to then try your luck overseas or was going overseas always something that you wanted to do to try and play in Europe? Yeah, going overseas was always something I wanted to do. Like growing up as a kid, I wanted to play in the Champions League. I wanted to play on one of these big teams in the world, whether it's like AC Milan or Real Madrid or Juventus or one of them. Mm. So my goal was always to go play in Europe. And in the beginning, when I started MLS, there was a reserve league. So even if you may have not been playing with the first team or you may have gotten a couple minutes here or there, the next day you're playing with the reserve team and you know other coaches are seniors. And what might happen sometimes is if a coach may ask about a player, it's like, hmm, I think we should start playing him now. Because if not, then he could leave. Mm. So the, 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 the reserve league was great for the players who weren't playing. It, it kept us fit and showed us that and, you know, kind of gave us some exposure and experience to play. But yeah, Europe was, was where I wanted to go. And, you know, after two years in MLS, opportunity presented itself and, did that opportunity present itself in that way? You know, did you start to perform in the in the reserve leagues and then all of a sudden people started asking and and maybe a connection was made in that way to, to go overseas? No. So first year, and I was a developmental player, wasn't playing much, got called into the national team towards the end of the season, ended up starting most of the playoff games into the MLS Cup. So I think I'm in the history as being the only developmental player to start in an MLS Cup game. And I had more regular, well, more playoff minutes than regular season minutes. So like, <laughs> not sure if that's still there, but I know the developmental one is there. Second year, I wasn't playing as much, got in here and there. And then, I don't know, September, they wanted me to go from a regular roster spot down to a developmental spot. So developmental contracts aren't guaranteed. So at the time, I'm like, you know, I've been here a year and a half. The coaches have seen me at my best and at my worst. Then that just doesn't make any sense for me to step down to a lower level contract, on, which has less guarantees. So I trained with a couple of teams. I trained with Columbus and Salt Lake. Things didn't work out there. And then come January, my agent was like, hey, I have a couple of teams who are interested. So Hammerby was one, Hammerby in Sweden, who um, Phil Anschutz, the owner of the LA Galaxy, has some stake in. So I was to have gone to LA to go train with them. They were doing their preseason down there. And then this other team, guys, wanted to have a look at me first because they, their preseason started earlier. So I ended up going over to Sweden. And from the second day, like, great, we want him. Sign mm -hmm. me up. So from my agent, he was like, look, like, you want to play first team. You want to play every game. So this will be a great opportunity. That team, guys, Gothenburg's Athletic Idrotskop, they, at the time, just got promoted to the Premier Division. They had a good history, but for the past, I don't know, 10 years, they fell all the way down and made it all the way back up. So it, yeah, got an opportunity to play. I was playing game in and game out. And it was great for me and my confidence to show, you know, how good a player I could be. I had a great first season and a lot of offers started coming up. Yeah, that's awesome. What is that like to really, you know, in the early stages of your career, 
you're getting some time here and there. And obviously, as you mentioned, I did, I did read that about Kansas city. I, I wanted to ask about that. Cause I thought it was interesting mm-hmm. that it was like, didn't have as many, you know, minutes and, and starts during the year. And then all of a sudden it was like kicked off in the playoffs. So you, you kind of got a little bit of snapshot of that success, but then mm-hmm. Sweden, you know, I'm sure you can attest to this as well. That's where it's like for a season, right. Where you're, you're playing week in and week out and, and you're, you feel like your confidence is really rising and you've established yourself as I belong here. Like, what is that like for you as a player? As you mentioned, I'm sure it made your confidence soar. Oh yeah, it's, it was absolutely a great feeling, you know, seeing yourself in the newspaper every day and people having a lot of good things to say. And it definitely helps your confidence. You know, when you're on cloud nine, your confidence as well, you're in flow where you can do no wrong. Mm. Like that was, that was an awesome feeling. And it made me think about, yeah, I think I could be good enough to play in one of the top leagues in the world. And, you know, let's not forget that teams from Sweden are playing in the Champions League and are playing in the Europa League. And, you know, I got the opportunity to play in the Europa League. Just missed out on Champions League, but, you know, it was a great experience. And it's, it's one that I'll never do for anything else. Yeah. You just mentioned something there I think is interesting, that, that kind of idea of, of playing with confidence and, and playing in that flow state, sort of. How much do you think you would attribute your success or those moments when you were playing at a super high level to kind of being in that mode where you don't need to think as much, right? And, and you're not second guessing any decisions and you feel like you're in that flow state. Obviously you said you you feel like you kind of captured it in Sweden. How much do you attest to just being mentally kind of in a in a confident and and flow state? You know, the the hardest thing and, and you can agree with this, the hardest thing to do as a player is be consistent. Mm. So I feel like when I was good, I was really good. But when I was bad, I was not I was bad. So I think I, I I think I was inconsistent as a player and it may have hurt my career in certain stages. But yeah, so I had moments where I was in flow. It could have been for months. It could have been for weeks. And I, there's no feeling like it. So the better you're playing, the more consistent you are, you know, there are more moments of, of that flow experience. Where yeah. Best feeling in the world. You know, everything's yeah. just easy. You don't have to think. It's like walking on water. Yeah, I think I think what's so beautiful about football sometimes and also so frustrating is when you do capture that, you know, that run of form, right, where you're playing super well, that there's so many things that can just derail you, you know, maybe you pick up a little knock or a little injury and then boom, you get thrown out of that consistent rhythm um, and then you got to catch it again. And and even sometimes it can just be like form just itself kind of ebbs and flows, right? You know, you can have a couple of good games and all of a sudden you have a bad game and you have to turn it back around somehow. And it's like I said, it's one of the, one of the great things about the game, but it's also can be mm-hmm. so frustrating because you're like oh, two weeks ago, I was absolutely flying and what is happening right now? Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes there's no rhyme or reason like why you're not in flow. You're doing everything the same. You're eating the same. You're sleeping the same. Mm. Daily life's the same, but then you're just off and you have absolutely no reason. You, you just can't comprehend why. So yeah. some people try harder. Some may not try as hard because it's like, whatever, it will come back. So I have to each his own and, and it's different for every situation. Yeah. Cause I mean, especially I'm sure a player at your level, that's, you know, thousands and thousands of hours have been spent training and, and playing. You know, I know for me, there's times where I can just go into a training and all of a sudden I take a couple touches, play a couple passes. And I'm like, today's something's off today i don't know what it mm-hmm. is but it's just <laughs> something is not clicking so it, it's interesting how you can kind of develop that real sense of self as you as you play the game for so long but you know as you're having that confidence in sweden and and as you mentioned before you you started to get some some buzz around you and also some offers started to pour in and that led to a move after that first year in sweden correct yeah yeah so after the first year the top team in the league, AIK Stockholm, bought me. So they, my old team guys got me for a little or nothing, and they put a high price tag on me, mm. a couple million price tag, which I learned way later on. So flattered, but I didn't get any of it, so I was a little bit upset. But, <laughs> but yeah, so, you know, when I went, when I played with guys to go play against AIK, I'm like, wow, this is there are 25, 30,000 people in the stadium. This is a great atmosphere. I would love to play here one day. And my aim when I got to Sweden was to, you know, get in, do well, leave after a year or two, 
try to go to England or Holland or Spain or somewhere, Germany or wherever. Yeah. So after that first year, and these offers came, started coming in and, you know, I tried to get them to tell me about all of them, but they wouldn't. Mm. So the AIK one, yeah, I was really looking forward to that one because like Stockholm is an awesome city and, you know, they had great fans. Not saying guys doesn't have great fans, but it's a numbers game, right? Yeah. Guys who may have had 10,000 people at the game, at AIK, there were 20 plus thousand. So it was just a great atmosphere. And I'm making, you know what, if the opportunity does come, then I'm going to want to go. So, and then they were playing in the Europa League the next year, just missed out on Champions League because the second to last game the previous season, they tied against my old team. If they mm. had won, they would have won the league and gone to Champions League. So that was a little bit of sweet, but, you know, it was whatever. So, yeah, like AIK was great. I've, I've played with some of the best players I've, I've ever played with. And what I enjoyed most about playing with AIK is, you know, they tried to play. It wasn't yeah. like your stress kicked the ball out. Tried to play out of every situation, which was a great fit for me. So, but yeah, it was exciting. It, it, it was great experience. Let's take a break to talk about support for the In the 11 podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped Performance Package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code 11 at manscaped.com. Now, if my math is correct, that's about 8 million balls. Now, listen, here's the deal, gentlemen. The Performance Package 4.0 has arrived, and it is a game changer. Now, I know we got a lot of ballers out here, right? We got a lot of coaches out here. A lot of you, I know in your sessions, in your games, you're constantly saying, you got to take care of the ball, but you're not taking care of your own. It's crazy. It's it's wild, and we got to change that here, and Manscaped's going to help you do that. So, first off, we've got the Lawnmower 4.0, and it is the future of men's below-the-waist grooming, and that is because... Of their advanced skin safe technology. The Lawnmower 4.0 is also waterproof. It has a 400K LED spotlight. So, no more going blind in the bathroom, getting hair all over the floor, right? Pop in the shower, you've got the light as well, easy, and you're done. On to the next one. Now, same goes for that Weed Whacker, the Manscaped Weed Whacker for your ear and nose hair trimming necessities. You've got the proprietary skin safe technology, which is gonna help reduce with nicks snags and tugs in those delicate sensitive areas now last but not least we can't forget about the crop preserver ball deodorant and the crop reviver ball toner a lot of you guys i know you've got a routine with your recovery right you've got pre-game rituals you've got post-game rituals a recovery routine that you do after right hopping an ice bath whatever it is you have to add your below-the-waist care to that. You've got to take care of your balls, gentlemen. You don't want to be playing 90 minutes, and then you come in, and you're sweaty and disgusting, and you're not taking care of yourself. you got you got to do it. And Manscaped, like I said, is here to help you in that department. And who knows? Maybe that special someone that's in your life coming to the game, watching you play. You know, you play a good 90 minutes, maybe you bag a goal. I don't know. You want to be ready. You want to be prepared. You don't want to be in a situation where you are left without Manscaped. Now, just because Manscaped is hooking you up and they want to take care of you, the Performance Package 4.0 has a couple of goodies thrown in there. They've got the Manscaped boxer briefs and they threw in a little carry-on bag just to travel with all of your Manscaped products, whether you're going for an away game, right? It's a road trip, you're in a plane, whatever. Chuck all your Manscaped products in there. You don't have to think about it. You can forget about it and make sure that you're still taken care of. So it is time, gentlemen, because your balls will thank you. It is time to take care of yourself. So go to manscaped.com and get 20% off with free shipping using the code 11. That's 20% off with free shipping using the code 11, E-L-E-V-E-N at manscaped.com. That is 20 whole percent off of your order. 20% off your order with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use code 11, unlock your confidence, and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Yeah, you, you mentioned there that your goal going into Sweden at the start was, I want to go here, you know, for a year, do really well, then let, let's see if I can move, you know, maybe to England, Holland, Germany, one of the, one of the big ones. And I wanted to ask you, how much do you think 
a player's career is really determined by what they want to do, right? I want to play here and then play there and play there. You know, certainly those top level guys, right? Messi says he wants to go play for that club. Well, I'm sure they're probably going to make it work to let him go play for that club. But how much of it is based upon, you know, really kind of what exactly it is that you want to do and also what is presented to you? You know, you maybe thought, okay, let me see if I can go play in Germany, but this amazing opportunity is presented to Sweden. And as you just mentioned, you know, there's lots of things that are going on behind the scenes that you might not even know about that make it tricky to always just go into exactly where you want to go. So did you notice any of that in your career? Um, what I'll say is, you know, it's, it's a business. Um, there's this whole demand and supply as with everything. And, you know, every team, every team has their group of players and they're, they may be looking for a specific player that fits a specific role. Mm. And if you don't fit that specific role, you're not going to be on the radar. So even if you are doing great things at your team, you just may not be a fit for another team because you just don't have the qualities that you're looking for. Not that you're a bad player, but yeah. you just don't fit the mold that they're looking for. You could play the position that their best player plays. So would it really make sense for them to invest that money in having you? And you could be the same age and just have you sitting on the bench. No. So every team doesn't have a blank checkbook where they can just buy every player, which we're seeing a lot happening nowadays in some of these leagues around the But <laughs> yeah. you know, realistically, it's not, it's not something that happens everywhere. So yeah. even though, you know, there could have been teams from Germany and from Holland that, that wanted to, to get me after guys, but they may have not wanted to pay as much money as the team wanted for me. Mm. So, so, you know, and it's, it's the team's decision. It's their decision first, you know, they have you on a contract if they want, they have to agree to a transfer fee and then you agree to your personal terms if they allow if they accept the transfer fee yeah. so if the club can say hey we want to pay you this awesome but if your club is not willing to sell you then you're not going anywhere yeah yeah and i just wanted to bring that up because i think sometimes you know fans they just say like, oh, I like that player. He should come to my team or I like that player. He should go play for that team. And it's, it's a nice, you know, it's a nice thought. It's a nice sentiment, but as you just laid out there, it's, there's just, there's so many moving parts, right? You know, a club has to have interest. Can they afford you? What position do you play? Does it work with what they want? You know, the list goes on and on. And then also it has Mm -hmm. to be a right fit for the player as well. So there's just, you know, there's so much that goes into players moving from one club to another. I think, Sometimes, you know, when you watch Sky Sports or, or anything like that, you think, oh, OK, another transfer. But there's a lot that that goes into that. Yeah. And so you mentioned there when you're at AIK that that was, you know, some of the best players that you had ever played with in your career. What was that like training day in and day out? Was that one of the, the highest levels that you've ever been in in terms of a training environment? Yeah, yeah, definitely one of the highest levels. Like everyone was comfortable with the ball mm. and it's it's. I think it's rare to find every single player to be comfortable with the ball. You know, doesn't panic when they have the ball. It's not just about kicking the ball away. It's about winning it and keeping possession. So for me, that was great for me. And and I have to ask, you know, obviously, you know, you had professional aspirations from, from early on, but was there ever a moment, you know, you said you're playing in front of sometimes 25, 30,000 people, you know, I'm sure you're brushing shoulders and training with guys who have, huge resumes was ever a moment where you just kind of like man just a few years ago i was playing nescaq Nescaq (laughs) (laughs) you know there there may have been on a couple occasions i can't quite remember any but i'm (laughs) sure there were there could have been a couple occasions to be like you know hey kid from jamaica and look where i am you know yeah played against england in old trafford like seventy thousand people against england so, you know, there were definitely a couple moments where I was like, yeah, yeah, I believe I will be here. But yeah, right. I'm sure there's some pinch me moments, you know, kind of as your career goes on. And, and you mentioned that that the, the national team, I know you've obviously up to this point, you know, you've had some experience with the, the youth teams and, and trained with the senior team. Where does it fit in? You know, where do you make your debut for the senior national team? Is it while you're over here playing in Europe or was this still while you were in MLS? Um, the first, I played in an exhibition game with the full national team. I was one of the under 23 players. I think I could have been 21, 22 at the time. So that was the first taste of it. 
But then that was just against some team from Brazil with, you know, whoever. But the first game that may turn up on like anything as like, here's my first A appearance for the full national team. That was my first year with Kansas City. And it was after I got called in for that game that I started mm-hmm. playing. So, yeah, you know, being able to represent your country, no feeling like it. So for me, it was, I want to play for my country. I want to go to the World Cup and play in Champions League. So, but yeah, you know, good experience. And I got to play with some of the guys I grew up playing with on some of those youth teams. Yeah. Yeah. And and if you could, uh, just to elaborate at all, because, you know, I'm sure we have lots of players who have played at pretty high levels that listen to to this show and, and you know, people who are fans of the game. But that that representing your national team is that's the elite of the elite. You know, that, that's the highest level that there is in the world. And I'm sure there's no feeling like it to put on that Jersey and, and have the flag and, you know, hear your anthem and, and just everything, you know, can you put it into words what it's like to, to represent your team at, at the first team level? I doubt I can put it into words or say it as eloquently as I'd like to say, <laughs> but, you know, not, not just having the Jersey on, but having it on in your home country with your, with your fans supporting, having the anthem behind you, having your family may be at the stadium watching a game. I, I can't put words to, to what that feels like, but it was definitely a great feeling to be able to represent your country and play on their behalf because it's not something that most players around the world get to experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Are there any other, I'm sure there's tons of highlights from, from playing with your national team. I know one you just mentioned too, you know, when you're playing at Old Trafford and you're playing in the midfield with, with a, what was it, Gerard Lampard and Beckham Gerard in your Lampard. midfield? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I'm sure that has to be up there on your on your top memories of your as you look back at your career. Yeah, um, definitely. But, you know, at the same time as, as a player, you can't think of it as like, oh, my gosh, I'm playing against all these guys because then that's just not going to help your confidence. Yeah. So, you know, what I used to help my confidence was just to say, look, they're just a player like you and I, they just may be on TV more and playing on a bigger club and making a lot more money, but they're still human, Yeah, you know, and are they bigger, faster, stronger than me? No. So then that was how I, I, I psyched myself up for games and, and didn't let the moments get the better of me. So it's like, look, we're all going to make a mistake. It happens. You know, no one has a hundred percent perfect game. You'll have a bad touch, a bad pass, like a mistake's going to happen. That's mm. fine. But don't get it twisted in your head that these players are X or whatever their names are, and they're way better than you. And I think that happens a lot when you have a lot of these bigger teams playing against the smaller teams where they get overwhelmed by the name of a player. And yeah. because they watch them on TV or use them in a video game many times. But I'd always bring people down to that. You know, they're just an individual like everyone else. But yeah. Yeah. And, and up to this point in your career, you've you've played against tons of top level professionals trained and been on the same team as tons of top level professionals. I'm curious if there's anything that you saw, like all the, you know, the really great players that you saw, were there ever things that you, they all kind of had in common? Were there things that you just like, okay, if you saw him train, you knew he was going to be a good player because they always kind of thought a certain way or approached the game a certain way or approached training a certain way. Yeah. But then again, to be fair, there are some players who, in training, they're just kind of joking around. Mm. But then during the game, then it's like, we've never seen this player in training, but they're the best players in games. Yeah. And on the flip side, there are players who are awesome in training and just never great in games. And then that's part of where the consistency comes in. But yeah, there are some players who just their work ethic and everything in training, you know, it's everything has to be done at the highest level. You know, there's no fooling around. There's no joking around. It's like, come on, we're here to play. Like, let's go play. But yeah, and 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 it takes strong personalities to be able to be there 100 percent, 100 percent of the time, and to give everything that you have. So, but yeah, definitely, there were some players trying to think, you no, know, who in training. You know what? I try not to call names because I don't want anyone to get upset that I didn't call their name. <laughs> but yeah, there, there, but yeah, but but I've had so I'll call Chris Wondolowski's name. So, but even Chris, like when I came to, to San Jose, Chris was just another player on the team. He wasn't a big name. He wasn't scoring a lot of goals. Hardworking player who 
you know, did the simple things well and wasn't wasn't fast, wasn't dribbling by guys, you know, wasn't, you know, one of these kind of players. But Chris, after training, he worked really hard on finishing. Mm. You know, he's always doing well in the finishing drills. And like every single day after training, he's working on finishing. And you could see how he ended his career, you know, leading goal scoring in MLS history. He definitely became a much better player over time and, and his career shows by itself. So, but yeah, he was always working extra hard after training and, and working on, on finishing. And he was the best finisher in, in MLS history. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm happy you said that because that's definitely something you consistently hear about the top level players is that they're always doing the extras, right? You know, after training, before training, they're always doing the most. And and sure, there's those outliers, you know, like I heard a couple of weeks ago, I think Jermaine Defoe did an interview where he's talking about Gareth Bale, how he would just, he wouldn't train, you know, during the week, mm-hmm. he would, he would show up, he would, you know, do the warm up, maybe the rondo and just kind of, but then all of a sudden on match day, he would turn up and you know, there's players that can do that for a while, but eventually mm-hmm. that catches up to you. And I'm sure we look at Gareth Bale's career now, and yes, he's been an amazing player, but I mean, he he could have been a dominant, you know, world-class level player for, for a long time. So it is true. The ones who just consistently put in work time after time and do extra, it, it usually, mm-hmm. it pays off. So as we detoured there a little bit, I think at this point now, as we're going through your career kind of here, this is when you wind up in Norway after the year in Sweden. So one year in Sweden at Geis, then went to AIK, having a great preseason, ended up breaking my arm a week before the season started. Mm. You know, I was playing the best I was playing. I was in flow state the whole time. And then after that injury, I was never the same player. So Your whole career? Up, whole career, never the same player. Oh. So I don't know. I, I lost something. I don't know what exactly it was, but I lost something. I mean, I still played another nine, 10 years, but still, right? So yeah, was at AIK another year and a half and then ended up going to Norway. You know, at the time I wasn't playing as much. AIK brought in some new players and the coach just said, look, you know, we brought in some guys. We have these young guys coming up. You're behind them. Yes, you have two more years on your contract. So you can stay if you want. You know, I think you're a great guy like thing, but you know, this is just where things are right now. So, you know, obviously I wanted to play. And at the time I'm like, nope, I'm fine. I'll keep working and, you know, things will change, whatever. But then I thought about it. And then I'm like, you know what? Here's this opportunity. Coach really wants me. I went and met with them and he's like, here's how I see you fitting into my team. Here's where I think you'd be great for us. So for me, I was like, all right, well, I'll go for a year, year and a half. You know, I'll do well and then I'll move again. So that's how I ended up going to Norway. You know, that first year I went to the team Allison. They're at the bottom of the table. The team was doing better. They ended up firing the coach who brought me there a month after I got there. Um, Brought in this other coach who wasn't my biggest fan. But yeah, we ended up, you know, playing in in the playoff game at the end of the season because we're one of the bottom three teams. Ended up staying in the league the next year. Yeah, had a decent year the next year, got injured again, and then wasn't playing as much. It took me a little while to get back to normal after the injury, and then ended up going to San Jose on loan. And then that was awesome. I was enjoying playing again. The team at the time wasn't doing great, but we ended up making it into the playoffs and went all the way to the the, the conference championship game where we lost. So... So that, that time, it sounds like after that first injury, and then you start, you felt like you couldn't really get back to the same player that you were, did that, you know, it sounds like you spoke to it, it maybe took away your love a little bit for the game. You know, you, you have those back-to-back injuries and it was a tough season in Norway, but when you found San Jose, it was almost like, here's an opportunity for me to play well again, you know, be healthy and, and kind of find my footing again. Yeah, so I was in Allison for two and a half years. Yeah, well, three years if, if you look at everything. So the second year was was fine. It was okay. We did okay in the league. I was playing, maybe not playing all the time, but I did play quite a few games and we, we won quite a few games and everything. The second year, I got injured. Like we won the league, the, the Open Cup, like the Knockout Cup, like similar mm-hmm. to the M- Lamar Hunt US Open Cup or the FA Cup. 
Yeah. So by winning that, and I scored the first ever penalty in a Norwegian cup game for the record. Look at you, just setting records left and right. <laughs> left and right. So, but yeah, so that was a good year for us and the team. We ended up, I don't know, sixth, seventh, eighth in the league, fifth, I don't remember, but won a cup, have a trophy to show for it. Yeah. And then the next year, I got injured in the Super Cup game. So that's the, 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 the game between the winner of the cup and the winner of the league. Mm. I was out for kind of two months. I couldn't really figure out what was going on, but yeah, but something was off. So then coming back, the team wasn't doing well while I was injured. For some reason, the coach said I didn't fit anymore. I still had two years on my contract. I was one of the higher paid guys on the team, and he was saying I made too much money and like whatever. So agent, before the season started, I asked my agent to look around. I'm saying, okay, like, you know, I've been here almost two years now. This is a year I want to, to make a move. So I'll do what I can do. You go do what you can do. So, and that's just me being the best player I can be and him getting the right people to come and watch. So, unfortunately, I got injured, you know, right before the season started. Came back from injury. I wasn't playing much. And then, yeah, then I ended up going to San Jose on loan. So, agent was like, look, San Jose is interested. The coach remembers you from way back when, when I played against them and knocked them out of the, the MLS playoffs, whatever. <laughs> so, I told him, you know, I'm not ready to go back to MLS yet. Uh, Let's see what else he can find. So, well, long story short, I ended up going back to MLS and trained with them for a week. And, you know, I think it would have been great to not just get away from from from, from Norway at the time, but to be in a situation where I'd be playing regularly. Yeah. And that would help my confidence and, and help everything else. So, well, yeah, and, and then I'd been away in Europe for five years, so it was coming closer to home you know, being close to the family and friends. Yeah, so came over and team was doing well. I was doing well. And, you know, it's a good decision. Yeah. So it sounds like for you also some priorities, you know, off the field changed a little bit. Whereas early on it was, I just want to play highest level. I just want to play Champions League. And, and not to say that MLS isn't still a high level, but also there was, you know, there's other factors. Can I be a little bit closer to mm -hmm. friends and family and Sweden and Norway are amazing places, I'm sure, but also us is kind of where you grew up. It's home. There's a little bit more of a comfort level there being able to come home and, and play there. Yeah. And home allows with Jamaica. So, but, but then again, I, I came to San Jose on loan. So I still had a year in Norway after the loan ended. Okay. But you know, long story short, Mutually terminated the agreement. So my aim was to go back and, and finish off that year in Norway, be a free agent and see what was what. So, but yeah, we agreed to mutually terminate the agreement, got a little pay or whatnot, and then ended up going to San Jose, signed a, I think, a four year MLS four year contract. So, you know, two years, I think it was two years guaranteed, and then option years or something like that. Or it could have mm. been like, you know, three option years, but I hit some criteria. So I was there for two years and then went to Salt Lake for a year, came back for two more years. Hmm. Those experiences that you had, it sounds like now you've had a couple up to this point in your career where you kind of have a coach saying like, Hey, you know, whether it's a new coach that's brought in, they say, I don't think I see you in my plans. Right. You know, I know you're on a contract, but I want to move it a different direction. Right. I like this player better. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's hard to just say, here's the advice that, cause every situation is different, but what might you say to a player that's going through something like that, where maybe they come into a situation and they are in favor. And then all of a sudden the coach says, Hey, you're not in my plans anymore. You know? Cause I, I'm sure on the one hand you can say, Hey, I'm going to prove the coach wrong. But on the other hand, maybe it's best for you to, to leave. Is there any advice that you might give in that regard? It's always difficult when you're in the situation, you know, because where you are is where you want to be. Mm. and granted at, at AIK business decision like the club was like look we paid a lot of money for you this team is willing to pay almost as much as we paid for you so for the club it's a good business for you it would be great for you so and I appreciated the honesty you know just be honest with me and he was 100% honest with me so it's you know it's yeah there are a lot of factors that go into it, it's, it I can't say well you're in a situation and the coach says, well, you're not going to play, so you should leave. Mm. Things can happen. You can start being the best player in training and the coach all of a sudden wants you to play, even though he said you're not in his plans. 
someone could get injured and you step in and you end up taking over someone's fight. So there's there's a lot of moving pieces to it and there's no you know black or white answer to it. But you know my my recommendation is always, you know, regardless of whether or not they're like, look, this is not gonna work out, you need to leave or whatever, you know, be professional, keep working. You know, if the situation changes, great. If it doesn't, well, well, you know, but, you know, don't have anyone say that you were never professional enough. Mm. And, you know, after they had a conversation with you, you never showed up to training looking like you wanted to play. So, you know, regardless of the situation, be 100% professional, go to work and be your work. Try to be the best that you can be every day, even while knowing that you may not get your chance to, to go play again. Yeah. Did you ever see players that kind of hurt themselves by not treating it professional when things like that happened? Oh, yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. Because then that's ammunition that can be used against you in the future. Yeah. Like some coach can call saying, hey, what do you think about this guy? Yeah. And then it could be like, well, he's lazy. He wasn't willing to put in the work. He's just not professional. Yeah. And I'm sure you noticed. Then, Go ahead. Yeah. And well, and knowing that the coach told the player that he's not in his plans. And the coach would say, look, like you're being paid. This is your job. You should mm. come to work every day and you should do your best. So not everyone can, 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 can be there mentally during those situations, but the better you can be, the better it'll be for you for a long term. Because mm. I'm sure you notice kind of how small the football world really is at those levels. You know, it, it seems like everybody knows everybody and it'd be very quick for someone to make a phone call and say, Hey, what's going on with this guy? And well, he's not really training anymore and, and he's not taking it seriously in the situation that he's in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it's hundred percent happened like multiple times. I've seen it happen to all teammates where someone like my agent may have said, yes, what do you think about this guy? I'm like, here's what I think. And they're like, yeah, the coach says that he's just not professional enough. So I don't think this is going to work. And the coaches, they all talk. They're, quote-unquote friends yeah so they may have played together at some point they may have done a coaching course at some point so you know they do talk yeah community is small the circle is definitely Mm -hmm. small so when you return to san jose kind of full-time after the loan obviously and then you're on the the permanent deal in san jose is kind of in those early years when you're playing with san jose is this where you felt like this is kind of where i want to play for the next couple of years because obviously i see that there's the the season that you spent in Salt Lake as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I I wanted to end my career in San Jose. Uh, and then granted, I, it's not like I was 22 years old, right? I was getting older and looking for more stability and, you know, trying to think about life after playing. You know, no one ever wants to think about that. So, but yeah, it was, it was the, those two years were good two years. The first year, we, I don't know, we just had a year where we were just unlucky. We were playing well. We were playing some of the best football that I've been on playing as a San Jose team, but we weren't getting the results. We could out outshoot teams. We could dominate teams and end up giving up a goal in the in the in the last two minutes to draw or lose the game. Mm. So from a point standpoint, we didn't do great. We didn't make the playoffs that year. But the following year, we ended up winning the supporters' shield. We were the best team during the regular season. We had one of the highest point totals ever in MLS. So not saying that, we, and I personally don't think that we played as great as we did the previous year, but we're getting the results. But yeah, so it's, it's not always a better team on the day that wins. Yeah, it's again, kind of like we were speaking to when we, when we talked about the game against England, right? You know, it's, it's any team on the day can win as long as you back yourself, believe yourself. That's the beauty of those, you know, those cup competitions that you mentioned mm-hmm. before, the FA Cup, Pokal, you know, anywhere in the world, it's should ever, a, you know, a fourth division team beat a first division team? No. And obviously this isn't the same situation in terms of what you're dealing with in the MLS, but that's, that's kind of the, the blessing and the curse that football is. Definitely. Definitely. You see it happen all the time in these FA Cup games. Yeah. Like- <laughs> So <laughs> the Premier League team doesn't always beat the fourth division. Yeah, absolutely. It's the beauty of those tournaments. That's why people love them so much. And, and you mentioned kind of now as we're getting towards the end of, of your career, how you know no one ever really wants to look at 
life after playing. And, and that's so true. And, and did you kind of struggle with that at all? Kind of when you were getting towards the end of your playing career, did you have a, a moment where you knew, okay, I'm ready to do it. Let's, let's put this, let's close this chapter or, or was it kind of a, you know, a bit of a more murky situation for you? You know, I'll, during my career, there were many times that I thought that, that this would be the end. Really? Like after, my, after the first two years in, in Kansas City, I thought that could have been it. After, I don't know, AIK before I went to Allison, I thought that could have been it. Came back to San Jose, they didn't pick up my option that first time. I thought it would have been the end. And then going to Salt Lake, we went to both finals and unfortunately lost both finals. And I didn't pick up my option again for financial reasons. So I thought that could have been the end again. Mm. So yeah, there were many times where you thought it would be the end, you just don't know. And then luckily things happen, someone picks you up. So those last two years in San Jose, my salary got cut to nothing and I was kind of forced to think about the future. You know, not that I wanted to, even though I was in my mid thirties and I thought I was Superman and I could play forever. But, you know, it, 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 it was time for me when I stopped, it was time played for 12 years and got to experience a lot. Yeah. And it was, it was time to move on. What's that like just as a, as a career, you know, to, to have that a, a couple couple times over in your career where you're like man is this it and then okay I got something again and you know two years later you're like well is this it like I I don't think you know besides professional sports I can't think of another career where it's (laughs) like that seriously like I really don't think there's any other career outside of sports where it's like that so it's like yep this was great while it lasted you know I thought it would have lasted 20 years but you know it's been two years it's been a good two years so and then you get two more years and you're like, great, this is awesome. And then you keep going. But no, it's, it was definitely a roller coaster at times. Yeah. It's like you said at the top, that average career is three years. So it's almost like once you hit that fourth year and fifth year, you're like, I'm just playing with house money now. Like, this is exactly. just bonus. <laughs> exactly. So that would pop up too. It's like, you know, I, I did get five years. I got more than the average. So I guess I should be grateful and thankful. You know, this is a good record. Yeah. To close this out here, to wrap it up, kind of talk to me about what's cooking now. Obviously, we, you know, we transitioned to that, to that degree that we had in the back pocket and now use mm-hmm. a little bit of that on a day-to-day basis. So what's been the last couple of years like outside of the game? You know, are you still kind of involved in the game at all a little bit or any other than those types of things? Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm here in San Jose. I moved into tech. It's San Jose is the epicenter of of, of tech, you know, Silicon yeah. Valley is a stretch between San Jose and San Francisco. So for me, it was, you know, after meeting like 400 people, it was, you should go into tech. And, you know, I ended up at Adobe in a sales role. I wanted to do something where I was meeting people, building relationships and, you know, being the guy who could fix everything. So, you know, majored in economics with a lot of psychology, would have gone into investment banking or consulting had I not gone into playing. But those industries are very structured and it would take you know 10 years to, to get anywhere so i figured where could i start where even if i started with a, a recent college grad that you know five three four five years from now we wouldn't be on the same level that our trajectories would be different because of being older and being mm. a person and having that experience so say i started in sales adobe is an awesome company learned a lot two years later moved to CrowdStrike cybersecurity company, great experience. And then now I'm at Cisco doing go-to-market, working on launching these new products. So, you know, I'm, I'm actually super proud of where I've gotten to in the last five, six years. I've moved up pretty quickly and, and yeah, you know, life goes on, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so, it's, yeah, it's so unique to be able to have these, you know, now you get these two completely unique and, and separate careers and that's such a, that's such a cool experience you have. And you definitely should be proud of that because there's there's a lot that you have accomplished so far and, and so much more to come. Yeah, exactly. So much more to come. Yeah. We're still young at heart. You know? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this has been so much fun. I learned so much and, and I'm so happy that I got the chance to have you on and, and talk to you. And, uh, you know, again, I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your story and sharing some of your insights with uh, with all of us. 
Yeah, man, it was definitely a pleasure. Man, thanks for the conversation. I'm looking forward to keeping in touch. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, that was Kari Stevenson. Absolute legend. So grateful to have him on the show. I want to thank him again for being in the 11 this week. An amazing story to share with myself and with all of you. So again, can't thank him enough. Thank you to all of you who listened and stay tuned for this whole episode. And especially a thank you to those of you who rated or reviewed the podcast. As I mentioned at the top, it is a quick thing that you can do to help the podcast grow. And I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. So if you didn't do it at the top, if you could do it right now, boom, quick little five stars, then I'll get you out of here. Thank you so much. And I'll catch you guys in the next one. Peace.